this team here at Daybreak. And if you could get out your green outline, if you haven't gotten it out already, it would be great. And we are in our second week of our series, When in Rome. And as Sean said, we have, uh, if you look at the outline, we have some pretty big chunks of scripture today. And so I've requested a three-hour preaching block. Um, Should have you out of here by about two, okay? So that's what we're shooting for. Today is finding your way back. And to find your way back, the implication is that you're lost. And so we all have these stories of being lost, right? We've all been lost at some point where you're, you're taking a trip, you have a set destination, and you get lost. And it might be you got a little lost. Like we were going to Mechanicsburg, but we wound up in Shiremanstown. That's okay. Or it could be that you got really lost. Like we were going to Mechanicsburg and we wound up in like Puerto Rico or something. But either way, we all have these stories. And what's interesting about these stories isn't that you got lost. It's how you got lost. Because if you just say, yeah, we were going to this place and we got lost, that's it's not really a very interesting story, but if you start talking about how it happened, like we took the wrong turn and then we look, the cops are behind us and their lights come on and people will listen to that story, right? That's, I mean, people will stop what they're doing. Somebody will stop like washing the dishes and be like, what, really? The cops? That's, that happened? That's crazy. I mean, that's a story we'll listen to. And so if you're, if you're like my wife and me, you have a system to not get lost, So here's our system, and maybe yours is similar. Our system is very simple. I drive, she navigates. That's our system. That's the whole thing right there. And it works really well. It's this cyclical thing where if I'm calm and I'm driving calmly, she will navigate accurately. And as long as she's navigating accurately, I'll drive calmly. But sometimes... We switch the system. Sometimes we get off the routine whereby she's driving and I'm navigating. And and if it's a place where we've never been, we're probably going to get lost. And and we could have switched this for any reason. It could be because my wife gets car sick. And so if she says, honey, can we pull over? I'm getting car sick. So we switch. It could be because we're taking her car and she doesn't like it when I get in her car and I immediately put the seat back and then I start me- messing with her mirror and that, you know, guys, when you mess with your wife's mirror and she just glares at you from across the car, like, do you have to do that? Yeah, I do. Uh, so we might switch because of that. Uh, it could be because I want to read something. And so I'll say, can you, can you drive so I can read this? And I'll, I'll still navigate, but I, I want to read this. And I'm, I'm not going to navigate. And then we're going to get lost. But we get off the routine and we get lost. And sometimes it's like this in our relationship with Jesus. Where we have a routine, we have a system, we know what works for me. Like I have a system. I get up in the morning, I'm a teacher, I get up at about 5.45, I get in the shower and I use that time as my morning prayer time where I just stand there and I just pray for the day and try to give it to God. And guys, it, shower time is, is great prayer time because then if your wife is like, hey, you're taking a long time in the shower, you can say, oh, I'm sorry. I was spending time with Jesus. If that bothers you, 
So that's part of my system. And then I go to school, and then I, you know, I, before I go to bed, I read my Bible, and I, that's just, that's my routine. You probably have a routine like that, right? But sometimes we get off the routine. And by the time we realize that we've gotten off of that path that we know, oh man, we're lost. And so there's this verse in your, in your outline from Isaiah, the very first verse here. It says it like this. I think it captures it really well. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, a verse like this is sort of a paradox because on one hand, it's, it seems like a negative verse. We've all gone astray. But on, on the other hand, it's kind of comforting because it tells us that I'm not the only one who screwed up. I mean, it starts collectively. We all like sheep. Go ahead, underline that. We all have gone astray. But then it kind of homes in on the individual. It says, each of us has turned his own way. Each of us, whether you're a new Christian or a, a pastor, each of us has strayed from God at some point. Okay, so, so then what? So what do we do? How do we find our way back? Because that might be you today. You might be sitting here thinking, okay, yeah, that's, that's me. I've kind of lost my way. Now what? Well, the first thing that we have to do is the first blank in your outline. Finding my way back demands that I take sin as seriously as God does. I have to take sin as seriously as God does. This first verse we have here from Romans is about God's response to sin. So follow along with me as I read this to you. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. We're going to look at three big chunks of scripture today, but in this one, I, I want to focus on just a few words. There's three words in particular that I want you to underline or circle or whatever you can do to make them stand out, and they're in the first sentence. There's wrath, godlessness, and wickedness. Wrath, godlessness, and wickedness. Now, wrath, we're going to come back to wrath, so we're going to table that for a second. But godlessness and wickedness, what do those actually mean? Well, godlessness, this means that we lose our reverence for God. It means that, in a sense, we have forgotten who God is. That is that he's God and I'm not, and that that's a good thing. And we forget that, and we fall into godlessness. Wickedness is when we sin against other people. So if godlessness is this sin against God where we kind of forget his place and our place, 
Wickedness is sin against people, where we're just unjust, where we're just not kind to other people. And this happened to me recently. Uh, A few weeks ago, I, I found myself overwhelmed. A lot of things were coming at me at once, and so I got off my routine, and I found myself falling into this pattern of godlessness and wickedness. And so here's what it was for me. Maybe, it's, I'm sure it's different things for you. I, uh, I had my, my small group, we took a break for the summer. Usually, you know, in small group, summertime, everybody's on vacation, different weeks. It's hard to get everybody together. So you slow down a little bit for summertime. So that was a transition for me. And then my school year was ending. And so in my last two weeks, I have all these kids frantically scrambling to try and, you know, get out of summer school because they didn't do any work the whole year and now they want extra credit and this and that. And that's, that's a transition for me. And I also started graduate school. And that's a transition for me because now I'm coming home from work and saying hello to my wife and then I'm saying, okay, I'll see you later. I got to go back to work. And I sit down and I'm just working for hours. But that's usually how life happens, right? I mean, it's not like one thing happens and then we get a break and then the next thing. You know, it, it all happens at once. And somehow seemingly always in threes. I mean, we've heard that before, right? It's like, it's like this, uh, like Murphy's Law, you know? Uh, or we could even call it Murph Three's Law. Huh? Okay, check that one off. That's no good. All right. Murph Three's like that. So... I, I got off my routine, and I've lost my way. And I find I'm spending no time at all with God, because for me, when I get off my routine, here's what happens. I get overwhelmed, and I get impatient. That's, that's how my sin manifests itself. I don't have patience for God. I don't have time to pray in the morning, because all I can do is think about what I have to do today. And then at night, I am so exhausted. I don't have the patience to sit and read my Bible. I don't have time for this. And so I lose my patience with God. And I'm losing my patience then with people where I'm in the car on my way to work and I'm just just swearing at people on the highway because they're driving like idiots. And do you ever notice when you're impatient that and you're driving, anyone driving slower than you is an idiot and anyone driving faster than you is a maniac when you're impatient. And I'm getting frustrated with my kids, my students, because they're, hey, Mr. Hanson, I don't want to go to summer school. Can I do extra credit? I'm like, no, you could have done your work this year. Take a walk. Ah, cry. And I'm getting frustrated with my graduate classes because it's an online class that I'm in. And I got, you know, we're posting essays. And, you know, there's this one guy who's just this overachieving go-getter. And he, you know, I'm going to post two essays. And I'm like, I'm going to post my fist to your face. And I, don't, you know, I don't even know this guy. But who are my sins really against? God and people. Godlessness and wickedness. And I imagine that I'm not the only person here who can relate to this, who this happens to. And maybe your sin is different than mine. For me, it's the impatience, but maybe for you, maybe yours is anger, where you just get really angry with people. Maybe yours is uh, judgment, that you just start becoming really intolerant of people and just judging everyone you see. Maybe yours is that you drink when you get overwhelmed. You just, you turn to alcohol. Maybe you use some kind of drug. Or maybe, and I've seen this in people I've talked to, I see this a lot, that maybe yours is that you just completely withdraw. That when you get overwhelmed, you choose 
to just fall off the grid. I don't want to be near God. I don't want to be near people. I just want to disappear. And no matter what it is, it would be easy for us to blame it on the circumstances, right? It'd be easy for us to blame it on how we got lost because that's the real story here. Yeah, but I got grad school and school's ending and my small group's not here. And I'm, But according to this verse in Romans, we don't really have any excuse. And when I fall into sin like this, I have to take sin as seriously as God does. And so what does sin mean when we talk about sin? At daybreak, we talk about it in its original context. And so here's what it, here's what it means. Sin's an archery term. And sin is your distance from the bullseye when you are taking aim with your bow and arrow. So you take aim with your bow and arrow, and let's say you're off just by a little bit. But over time, and the distance that that arrow has to travel, it's gone. Now it's, it's completely missed the target. And that's what we mean when we talk about sin. The more that we are in sin, the further away from that target we become. And it's almost like we're just building this wall between us and God. This barrier that's separating us from God. If God is the bullseye, we are just, man, we're missing it. And this is dangerous because if we're building a barrier between us and God, then what we're doing is we're saying, you know what? I got this. I'm in control. I can decide what's good, what's evil. And that's a dangerous place to be. And if we're talking about sin, then this is where we come back to that first word, wrath. Remember, I told you we would come back to wrath because wrath and sin, they go together. Now, when we think about wrath, we actually think about it a little incorrectly sometimes. Usually when I say wrath, you probably think of someone who just flies off the handle with anger, right? A guy spills his milk and he punches a hole through the wall. That's wrath. But that's not really wrath in the sense uh, that it's being used in this verse here. You see, God's wrath, it isn't temperamental and it's not reactionary. It's not, you have sinned and so I'm going to punish you. God's wrath is righteousness. God's wrath is his righteous response to sin. That's the best way we can define wrath. Wrath is God's righteous response response to sin. And so, okay, how seriously does God take my sin? He takes it seriously enough that he poured out all of his wrath on his son on the cross. And that's what it means in this verse when it says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. His wrath was revealed from heaven and manifested physically on the cross. Do you remember, remember what Jesus said? Uh, it's in Mark, and towards the end when Jesus is about to die, and he's hanging on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in that moment that God literally had to look away as his sinless son took on the wrath for all of the godlessness and wickedness that we hadn't even committed yet. That's serious. And then to make sure that we could stay pure and stay close to him, he sent the Holy Spirit for us. So he said, look, I'm sending my son to take the wrath for you, and then I'm going to send the other part of me, the Holy Spirit, to stay with you 
and guide you to make sure that you don't get lost. And it's because of this sacrifice that we only really have one response here. When we realize that we're in sin and we have to take it seriously, what we have to do is turn back. See, that verse in Isaiah at the top of your outline says that we've all turned away from God, but what we really have to do is turn away from sin and turn back towards God. So how do we do that? How do we turn towards sin? Well, if we recognize what was done on the cross, then the second point in your outline is that finding my way back demands that I trust Jesus alone to pave my pathway back. Trust Jesus alone. Finding your way back, though, can seem like a pretty daunting task, especially if you've been away for some time. So if you're somebody who's sitting here thinking, well, it's, it's been years, like I'm here, but heart-wise, it's been years since I've been there, since I've been connected and really had that intimacy with God. But no matter how long we've been away or how far we think we've gone, the pathway back is always the same. No matter where you are, the pathway back involves becoming enamored once again with the cross and with what Christ did on the cross. And Romans 3 says it like this. This is the second passage in your outline. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Would you underline that phrase? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. There's this, uh, there's this polarization happening right now in Christianity, in, in what we'll call contemporary Christianity, in response to sin that really has very little to do with this verse. And here's, here's what it looks like. It's two extremes. One side over here says that when you realize that you're sinning, you have to fix it because you're a sinner and you better get right with God right now. And the other side over here says... Hey, it's all good. Just do what you want. Sin, you know, it's, sin's not really something we're going to worry about. God loves you, man. I love you, man. It's all good. These, these are both a little dangerous because neither of them really have anything to do with Jesus. They have everything to do with me, right? Because that's what sin does. It builds up this wall where suddenly it's all about me. And it's, I have to fix myself right now. Or it's, I get to do whatever I want and there's really nothing that needs fixing. But if this verse is true, then really it's not about me. It's about 
Christ and the cross. And so I think it's this balance of, yes, you're a sinner. We, we underline that. For all have sinned. Everyone in here has sinned. But we all have the opportunity to receive his grace and thereby receive justification with God. And so all you can really do is turn to Jesus and trust him to find your way back. And no matter where you've been or what you've done or what you didn't do but maybe you should have done, and no matter how long you've been away or if it's just been a short amount of time, no matter where you've come from, the pathway to God is paved through the work of Jesus on the cross. He breaks down that wall. If we're building a wall of sin between us and God, Jesus breaks that wall down and then uses those rocks that were holding it up and uses them as paving stones to guide the way back to God. And maybe, maybe you've forgotten how much he loves you and wants to have that kind of relationship with you. And we have a short clip here that I want to watch that I think depicts that well. I think that clip kind of captures part of Daybreak's vision statement, which says that we are here because we believe in helping people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus. And so one way of turning to Jesus and allowing him to bring you back and help you find your way back is getting your head and your heart back into worship. Getting back that reverence for God and on a practical level, that looks like coming here on Sundays. It looks like reading your Bible. It looks like having an accountability partner, having a mentor, somebody who disciples you or somebody who you disciple. And the second way, and this is equally important, is prayer. Prayer is that quiet place where you steal away with Jesus all alone 
And you let him transform you. And when you meet with him, you give him permission to figuratively clear your temple. Just the way he did literally here on earth. Do you remember that story in the Gospels where there's people at the, at the temple in Jerusalem and they're trying to sell sacrifices and they're making a mockery of the temple and Jesus comes up with a whip and he swings the whip in their direction and he says, get out of my father's house. He makes it so that the common man can connect with God, that there is nothing stopping you from having that intimacy with God. And when we pray, we have him clear that clutter out of our brains that keeps us from connecting with God. See, worship is what gets us on our knees. Prayer is what keeps us there. And when we have that clutter in our hearts, it will so often keep us from walking jogging, running back to God. And there's a a Catholic cardinal who wrote a poem uh, that I thought really captured this well. It's very short. I want to read it to you. It's by a guy named uh, Jean Danilou. I have a need of such a clearance as the Savior effected in the temple of Jerusalem, a riddance of clutter of what is secondary that blocks the way to the all-important central emptiness, which is filled with the presence of God alone. Pray. That's, that's the starting point. And on, the, on a practical level, if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know where to start, ask. We have prayer partners here at Daybreak who want so much to pray with you and for you and teach you how to pray. Or talk to one of the pastors at Daybreak who will work with you on getting a prayer life that's consistent. And you'll find that As your prayer grows and becomes more consistent, your reverence for God grows. And that godlessness is cast out from you. And as the godlessness leaves, the way you treat other people changes. And suddenly the wickedness leaves as well. And in the past few weeks, that's been the first step for me. As I've been transitioning and my life is just getting rocked a little bit, it's just been, okay, I I have to start with prayer. I have to get back in the habit of praying as much as I can. This summer, we provided you with a prayer based on one of the central verses in Romans. And our intention in this is to give you one of these first stepping stones to help you break down that wall. And so you got a bookmark last week, and if you didn't get one, there's some back in Ministry Central. Feel free to grab one on the way out. Or if you don't want that, you could cut this out of your program and use that as a bookmark. But follow with me. I'm going to read this to you. It says, Jesus, let my soul be transformed by the power of your grace so that my life can be defined by purity and righteousness. As I develop a passion to share your life-changing story with the world. Amen. That's a, that's a start. This can be the springboard that you need to launch back into prayer. And in order to allow that transformation to happen, that this prayer is talking about, let my soul be transformed, the way we do that is we have to embrace faith. That's the third blank in your outline today. Finding my way back demands that I embrace faith as the key to freedom.
that big verse from Romans 3 talks about what Christ did on the cross in order to atone for our sins. And so then in the very next verse, it says, okay, so what's our response to this? Well, where, is, where then is boasting? Is it excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. It's not about us. It's about him. And so all we can do is have faith. The law of God was not given so that we could try really, really hard to follow all the rules, hoping that we would prove ourselves worthy to God. Because, spoiler alert, we're not. It won't work. And so I think instead the law was given, in a sense, to show that even in our greatest attempts, we're a little off if we don't have God. And faith is the key to the freedom that we seek, the empowerment and direction we need to walk the path with God. Romans 4 put it this way, What then shall we say about Abraham, uh, that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited, but as a gift, uh, as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Would you underline that sentence in the middle there that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It seems kind of random here that Paul would start talking about Abraham. I mean, he talks about uh, sin and then, you know, what Christ did on the cross and now faith. And then all suddenly he just starts talking about Abraham. And you might be thinking right now, Abraham has a lot of stories to tell from the Old Testament. Are you going to launch into like a whole new sermon all about Abraham now? Yes. So buckle up. So no, I'm just going to, I'm going to touch on this for a second. I'm going to tell you why I think Paul talked about Abraham at this point. See, Abraham was a guy who struggled with his faith big time. God came to him when he was an old man and he said, Abraham, you and your wife, you're going to have a kid. And what was Abraham's response? He laughed. He laughed right in God's face. That's usually the telltale sign of someone who's struggling with their faith. And Abraham had to work his faith. He had to work it like a muscle. I mean, it had to bend and flex. And I mean, he screwed up and he lied and he sinned and he had an affair. And he... But over time and over the years, especially in his later years, that muscle became strong. And Abraham learned to turn to God in faith. His faith was strong enough to believe that God could bring his son back from death when he was told to go sacrifice that son that had been promised to him. And there's this old expression that says, faith is not faith until it's all you're holding on to. Did you ever hear that? That's kind of a cliche. But it's not really a bad idea, is it? And eventually, Abraham sort of came to live by this expression. And it made all the difference. 
And Paul mentions Abraham here because in his time, everyone knew who Abraham was. He was the father of the nations. He was this big, great, faithful man. He was famous. And so when people were reading this and they saw, oh, Abraham, all right, I get that. But I think the reason that he mentioned such a famous person was to say, yeah, Abraham had great faith. And yes, he was an important man, but he was kind of a screw-up sometimes too. And it took time for his faith to be strong. And it can take you time too. We can all be like Abraham, and that's okay. Abraham had to repent for the things that he had done wrong. And he had to turn in faith towards God and know that God would draw him close. And so ultimately, finding my way back to God requires relying on what God has done by repenting for the things I have done and viewing repentance as a lifestyle. And if you're thinking, well, but okay, this word repentance just kind of came out of nowhere. Well, the word repentance, what it actually means is to turn. Literally, to turn. And that's what we've been talking about this whole time. Turn away from sin. Turn back towards God. Turn towards worship. Turn towards prayer. Turn towards faith. And you will find your way back to God. Let's pray together. Lord, if we're honest this morning, so often we find ourselves turned around by life and sin, and we are just completely out of sync with you. And as this time of worship closes today, God, would you give us the sense that you are drawing us back to you, that you are helping us find our way? Lord, we take our sins seriously. Give us hearts of repentance to turn back to you. God, draw us close today. We give you permission to rid our hearts of all the clutter, to clear the temple of anything holding us back from intimacy with you. Take a leap of faith. We ask that you draw our relationships to a deeper level, that they would be fuller and richer in the days ahead. God, thank you for being our closest friend today. What a friend we have in you, Jesus. Amen.
Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Isn't that that's what Mike brought to us today? That's what Romans says to us. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mike was right. Like there's some places in our life that we, we dismiss as not so bad. And there are some places in our life some of us punish ourselves for. Like it is so bad, I could never bring that to God. Sometimes just easy to ignore them like... Well, God loves me. Maybe I don't have to talk to him about it. Maybe he just won't see it. Sometimes sin's like an old friend. It's comforting. But the truth is that sin destroys us. It damages our soul. It disconnects us from the power and the life of God. It keeps us cluttered on the inside so that we can't be emptied and filled with the power and life and light that God brings to us and then through us. And so I want to encourage you today to respond to God. Not to just, oh, that was good. I still, don't, I still want to run from it, but to run to God, to find your way to him, maybe for, for the first time, to say, God, I've never really trusted you, Jesus. I've never really said with all of my heart and soul, Jesus, have mercy on me. And I need to say it. And for some of us, maybe we just need to say it again. So this morning, when you reach in your program guide, there's a response card in there. 
And maybe for some of you, you just want to write on that response card. Maybe there's some way that you want our prayer team and our elders and our pastors to pray for you this week. Something you want to be free from. Some way that you want to depend on Jesus in a new way. Maybe you want repentance to be a lifestyle, a turning to God constantly. Because the scripture says that apart from faith is sin. Nothing in our lives that we live out apart from God can ever please him. But when we do, it changes everything. And when we come back to him in repentance, it gives us life again. So maybe that's a lifestyle change for you. Maybe there's just places in your life that you've been doing on your own. I appreciate what Mike said about grad school. I think about it a lot, like how many times I get frustrated because I'm trying to get all these deadlines met and I'm doing it on my own. God, you gave me this assignment, so I'm going to do it on my own. But that's, that's sin. It's doing it on my own. God says, come do it with me. So take a moment as the worship team plays. Consider, God, what's God saying to you this morning? What kind of relationship is he inviting you into that he might light up and change your life again?